You're listening to Clock Radio Speakers with Armand and Doc. This week's episode is split into two sides. This is Side A. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Clock Radio Speakers. I'm your host, Armand. Follow me on Twitter at Armand Wake Up, A-R-M-O-N-D, Wake Up, all one word. ClockRadioSpeakers.com powers our iTunes, our SoundCloud, our Facebook, our Twitter, which is at CRS Podcast, and all that good, wonderful stuff. And of course, as always, I'm joined by the homie Doc. What is going on, my good man? What's going on, everybody? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Doc underscore Beats, S not a Z. Um, not much, man. You know, uh, things are, you know, personally, things are, things are doing okay. Um, tr- tr- trying to buy a house, you know, complicated. Beautiful. Uh, you know, got a new job, uh, you know, in the works. Beautiful, um, beautiful. W- was described, uh, my, my alter ego, my government name was described on Twitter as um, the, the hip-hop Clark Kent. And, um, <laughs> in response to me being Doc underscore Beast, I thought that was real funny. Um, if, <laughs> if this was 2003, like, that would totally be added into your AKAs. <laughs> Yo, this is Doc Beats, AKA the hip-hop Clark Kent, AKA. The, the problem is there already is a Clark Kent. Right, I mean, you can't. You, yeah, you know, but, like you, you got away with two, two Dr. Dre's because it was like an East West thing, and they were legends. But you know, okay, well, one's a DJ and the others a producer. Yeah, that's a little close. Podcast. There you go. It's a little close. Yeah, okay. You, DJs and producers are a little close. Most you, DJs are producers, right? Do you think anybody remembers the other Dr. Dre? Like these, these kids, these From young TV raps? Yeah, they have no idea. Of course not. Nah, nah, not at all. They don't know about Dr. Dre and Ed Lover or Fab Five Freddy. Have they? Have you taught your kids the Ed Lover dance yet? Not yet. Next year. <laughs> Next year. I had to slowly like integrate them into hip hop. Like I had to, you know, bridge the gap a little bit. You know, we're going to nerd out next summer. Okay. Completely nerd out next summer. They'll, they'll be able to identify the difference between RZA, Mathematics, and True Master. I mean, I'm going to have to administer that test. I'm just, you know. I mean, you can totally <laughs> help out with the pro- process. Like, I, I, I'm totally cool with that. You know what I'm saying? But they'll be able to tell the difference between Dr. Dre, mid-90s Dr. Dre and EA Ski. Like, I'm going to really, mm, mm. You're gonna, really go You're going to be sitting there and be like, okay, which co-producer helped out? Yes. Which doctor? Was this, was this Mailman? Was this DJ Quick? Was this High Tech? Who was this? Who wrote this Dr. Dre verse? That's Hitman. Man. Oh, man. Your kids are going to hate you so much yeah no it's okay that's beautiful man new uh new things new house, going on new job yeah newness all that good stuff beautiful beautiful good to hear good to hear um what's new with you friday uh summer jam 614 um i guess probably around the time knowing you around the time that this episode will be out i'll be on the pulse radio talking with uh with o sharp um talking summer jam i'm sure we'll get into some ferguson talk so you know whatever we talk about tonight we'll Go on to there. I really hope he doesn't make me rap because I'm not in a rap mood at all. Um, but yeah, just Friday show. Uh, working on a vlog. We're gonna, um, I'm gonna like you know take in my old phone, which you know is still decent, 1080p camera, or whatever. Taking it around and you know messing around with a little little Sony Vegas and put it together, and you'll see behind the scenes and all that good stuff. But you know now's not really the time to put that out. You know, if I don't care, I'm one of those people like if I don't care about it, I don't expect anybody else to. Right. So, you know, I think the nation be, should be more concerned with other more pertinent issues than what I do before a rap show. Um, so, you know, when the time is right, those vlogs will come out. But, you know, we work it. Grinding. So grinding. So last week, we, last week we started to talk about the murder of Mike Brown and, yeah. what, and what was going on at the point that was a week ago on the 11th, I believe. 
Yeah, um, it was at last Monday. Yeah, last, last Monday. Monday. Yeah, we did an emergency episode. Um, mm-hmm. Over what you know, we we talked about it a little bit, and I went on you know one of my one of my little rants about epic rant. A lot of the systematic things that that have that contribute to, I guess, what you might call race relations in America. Yeah, and, and shout out to, and shout out to everybody who has you know on and off Twitter and off of social media who has responded uh, overwhelmingly you know to this episode. So we really appreciate you guys for listening because you know it was really that was really good to you know it's good to hear and then it was good to get that feedback that people were really listening and paying attention. And like I said, you dropped a lot of jewels last week. So. But we didn't really know a lot about. Yeah. The actual, I mean, because at at this, you know, at its core, this is still about the murder of a young man. Um, we didn't know a lot about it last week. We know a little bit more now. Yeah. Um, what we also experienced is a week that you know, it's funny. Like so many of these, like as you have noted many on many occasions, we are an event-driven culture now. Mm-hmm. We always, you know, there's always this question of, are we really going to remember this like a year from now, two years from now, or is this going to be a yeah. fleeting moment? The, the events of the past week will not be forgotten for a long time. Ever. No, no. This, this is, we, we are definitely beginning to shift. This is another shift as a nation. This will not be a, you know, forget about it next week at all. I don't even know. I mean, there are so many different places to begin. Um, Jesus. I mean, I guess, we, I guess we can just start can, with. Well, can I ask you something as somebody who's, yeah. who, who's formerly of the area? Yeah. Um, this is going to be a general question. I'm asking you to speak for every single town, but you know, the, the, um, the history of race relations in America really varies greatly depending upon the geography. No, yeah. no place in America is immune from, from having, we'll say substandard race relations. Truly no place is immune, right? We are right. a country built on the back of racism. Right. Um, but some places are worse than others. Now you've lived in many, you've lived in a multitude, right? I'm, that's an understatement. Um, yeah. You've lived in a number of different places. Yes. How would you, like, where would you sort of slot the St. Louis area in your sort of experience? St. Louis is very, like, the the crazy thing about the Midwest is the Midwest is very, it varies. It's very varied, right? Okay. Where, you know, some spots um, feel more West Coast. Um, Some spots feel, you know, more East Coast, more Philly, New York. Um, But St. Louis... Uh, Memphis is heavily Southern, heavily Southern. You've got a lot of people who've come from Mississippi, New Orleans, Arkansas, Alabama. Um, those roots, Tennessee, Ken- or Kentucky, I mean, it's a little higher, but, you know, like they've come from a, a, the Southern part of the country and have migrated up due to various reasons. Um, you know, if you even want to go back to, um, you know, post-Civil War and, you know, the, the 20s and the Renaissance and all those things like, you know, Harlem wasn't the only place where blacks went. You know, people, there was Chicago, there was St. Louis. St. Louis is huge for African-Americans as far as, you know, where we went after or where we went up north to, quote unquote, you know, get our exercise, our freedom and, you know, find better opportunities. St. Louis has a lot of history in that. Um, so with that, you know, with anything, you take the good and the bad and yes, race relations in St. Louis are not the best, um, especially compared to other Midwestern cities. I wouldn't call, 
I would call it St. Louis. Now, I said this last week. St. Louis is pretty segregated in terms of mentality. Like St. Louis is, is a large city made up of smaller cities. Okay. Um, so, you know, the cities are pretty much, you've got some cities that are heavily black, you know, unlikely your poor cities, unfortunately. Um, and then you've got your suburbs where, you know, they have been predominantly white for so many years. But recently, within the last uh, 15 to 20 years, maybe even earlier than that, 30 or 40 years, you know, more blacks are beginning to integrate into those suburban areas. Um, But with the integration, we're also taking our way of thinking with that. So, you know, there's still a lot of headbutting, you know, still a lot of, you know, not the best race relations. Okay, I'd say that. So it's not terrible but it's bad enough to warrant some concern. Okay. Um, and it's, and it's, but it's not bad enough to not be surprised by what's going on this week. I'm still very shocked um, by, by what's transpiring, what's happening in, in Ferguson right now. Yeah. I, the, really, the, what, what took this conflict, and I mean, I'm calling it a conflict because that's what it is, right? That's what we would call, like, you know, we sit here in America and we call, like, what's happening in Gaza a conflict, Right. Yeah. Well, we can call what's happening in Ferguson a conflict at this point. Absolutely. Um, what happened on Wednesday night, which was that was when we first saw the real big emergence of sort of the militarization of the police. Mm-hmm. The first, you know, the snipers, the rubber bullets, the tear gas. Um, I believe was it Wednesday when the protesters were not the uh, I'm sorry the um, uh, journalists were arrested for the first time. Yeah, I believe that was Wednesday, mm-hmm. and. What struck me is like, you know, like in my head, I have, you know, I, I remember, you know, I had somewhere tucked away this notion of um, a police force that isn't, it's not about community policing anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And and this idea of, yeah, you know, I kind of knew that police were becoming, you know, sort of a little bit more militarized and there was a little bit of that going on. But I really didn't understand the extent to which that had happened. That, what I think was the most shocking was simply... You know all the things that you are afraid of happening when 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 a when a powerful group gets those sorts of gets that type of of weaponry and equipment and to see yeah. those abuses carried out, yeah, was just I shouldn't say shocking, but it was appalling. There you go. Um, what what were your thoughts on Wednesday when you saw that sort of display of force and what was it clearly was, what was clearly meant to be intimidation? You know what was really weird? It was that you know that night you know my church we we had a we had a three day revival event so. You know, for those of you who may not know what a revival is, it was it was one of those things where we were, you know, doing a lot of praise and worship, a lot of prophetic, a lot of believing God to revive people's minds, their hearts, their spirits and had an amazing time. I mean, seeing just miracles happen and it was crazy. And, you know, and you and you you walk out of that sort of like on a, on a cloud, like, wow, God really showed up and did some amazing things. And I grabbed my phone and like my heart just sunk. I missed most of it. So I had to go back and catch up to it. But it was just like, man, like the the dynamic of, you know, what I just walked out of into what I'm walking into was just, you know, the fact that they were because that was the first night that curfew was instituted, wasn't it? Mm, I can't really remember. I, it's because all sort of it's a lot of it is jumbled together. Right. Right. Um, but from what I understand, I believe that. No, that I don't think the, the curfew came till later. You sure? Cause, yeah. Because I thought that was the first night. Because I thought curfew was Wednesday. But what happened was, was they 
the the cops began, you know, kind of militarying up a few hours before curfew even started. Not not as not as a precaution, but they had already like began using excessive force before midnight hit to get people out of the street. No, that was more before. recent. That was more recent. Okay. That was well, I mean, when, Wednesday. I mean, what's today? No, Monday? no. I mean, like, I think that was over the weekend because on Thursday we had Captain Johnson. <laughs> but I thought that was because Wednesday was so bad. It was, that, like, but I don't think there was a, I don't think there was a curfew then. Okay. okay but so but either way, either way. Either um, way, it was just, yeah, I, I, my, my heart sunk. I, I was just, I was just shocked. Like, I, I couldn't believe what was going on. In America, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. not to say that, not to say that, you know, and, and I've always said this, we're such a pompous nation where we believe that nothing like this can ever happen to us. Um, but then when it happens, it's like, that doesn't take away the the, the sting of it. It's, it's still a, a shocking thing. So it, it, it was crazy. What about you? You hear that sound? I, you know, I, it was tough to watch. Um, it, it was the footage actually, every, you know, the nights as we've gotten, as we've gotten, you know, later and later into, you know, deeper and deeper into this conflict. Um, like I wake up in the morning, I see some of the, like people's vines and what they're, sh- what they're, you know, shooting on their phone and everything. And it's like, it's emotionally overwhelming. Um, what I'll say is I was struck at how tone deaf the display of force was mm. as though they are so in their bubble that they didn't. They, you know, once again, this is real. I mean, really, like institutions can, around the world continue to underestimate the power of social media, um, right? Everybody is a journalist now, right? So, um, I, I, just the fact that they didn't realize that, and it's not even about the power of a hashtag or any slogans like that. It's really the fact that the majority of people walking around have something they can pull out of their pocket at a moment's notice and type text to the world send pictures out to the world, audio video out to the world. They don't have to ask anybody. They don't have to go through an editor. There is no approval process. It's unfiltered, right. which sometimes means it's wrong, but it's always raw. Yeah. And, and yeah. so, yeah. you know, I, I read online today, somebody described Twitter as like an, in, someone's, an individual's Twitter feed is like, a, is like looking through a straw. You're just looking at like their particular perspective. Yes. But when you look at the overall picture – you got a whole bunch of straws. Like if you imagine clutching a whole grip of straws in your hand, mm-hmm. yeah, you're only each one's an individual circle. But when you look at them all together, you can see pretty clearly what's going on. Yeah, yeah, good and analogy. I thought good that analogy. was. I thought that's an apt analogy of, of Twitter. Now, sometimes it, it doesn't always work right. Sometimes they get things wrong. But overwhelmingly, um, I was just struck at how like I'm, I'm watching that and I'm watching them arrest poly, uh, journalists. Like, look, you know, they might be corrupt police but they're really bad at it like don't ever arrest journalists they they looked some of the raw video that i saw they looked very disorganized and very um disheveled and uncertain as to what to do it was it was like they were like yeah go out there and go do stuff go be the police you know what i'm saying there was no strategy there was no there was no confidence there was no it was just like go out there and do stuff to make them scared of you and it it kid totally came off wrong and that's an understatement right and i I don't i don't want to sit here and like rehash like night by night all the events that happened but you know to like fast forward so what we've seen over the past week after that we had captain johnson put in charge kind of but which so we had that one peaceful day yeah but then it all fell apart yeah we had the unreal press conference where they released the officer's name yeah and 
the robbery footage at the same time and then later on admitted that the police officer who shot him actually didn't know that there that he might be a robbery suspect yeah we you know (laughs) we i mean how many i at this point like when i wake up in the morning i check my phone and i think to myself what atrocity happened last night and that it happened again today right with the uh with the with the autopsy report which came out last night but you know the the glaring factor, you know, because with with that police story, you know, that and the robbery, the robbery video was an attempt to, you know, we could say character assassinate. Yes, well, it's called smear. It's attempt to yeah. smear his character, and, and also to present some sort of doubt if the uh, if the case goes to trial. That's Huge. totally. If the case goes to trial, then they can use that as a as a cause for reasonable doubt. And then eventually lead to exoneration of of the officer, just like the um. Well, hold on. Actually, let's. It's interesting. Like, let's talk about that. So, people okay. want to know why the officer hasn't been arrested yet. Yes. So, the rules in place protect police from things like murder charges. There mm. is almost no chance that there will be a trial for murder. Wow. Um, part of that depends on the definition of reasonable use of force. That is a phrase that applies to every police department in the country. So there was a Supreme Court. Let me make sure I get my get my facts straight here. So 1980 court ruling named Graham versus Connor defined the reasonable use of force as force judged from the perspective of a reasonable officer on the scene. And it must embody an allowance for the fact that police officers are often forced to make split second decisions about the amount of force necessary in a particular situation. Law enforcement agencies across the country have a very narrow interpretation of that. So that in most places, now there are some exceptions, and this has been a slowly changing tide. Most places, including Ferguson, including St. Louis County, the conduct of the officer right before the incident doesn't really matter. Mm. The only thing that has to be proven is that not quite like the stand your ground law in Florida, but almost as muddled where is there a reasonable chance that the officer felt threatened. Mm. So the now the point of this is to make sure that if a, basically I believe you know if I understand this correctly, I mean the point of this is so that if a police officer makes an honest mistake or makes a reasonable assumption that every single in every every single time there's an incident, police aren't getting hauled off to trial. Now that's whether or not that should be the case. That's a whole separate conversation. But yeah. part of like. What we need to, I mean, I think part of what I think we really need to be talking about as a country is I understand people want justice right now. And like we're getting to a point, people don't want justice. They want vengeance. Yes. We're probably way past that point. And so we totally need to define justice means a million different things to a million different people. Absolutely. Right. So, but like I'm also trying to keep in mind, like, how do we not, how do we make sure that this doesn't happen again? And when I say this, there's a lot of things that this could mean, right? Not just. I mean, there's there's a lot of things, right? Like community policing. Um, you can call it affirmative action, call it whatever you want. The makeup of your police department should be somewhat equivalent to the makeup of your community if you're truly right. going to protect the community. Right. Because you have to acknowledge that there are simply racial disparities in this country. There's no yep. way around it. Like, we, we can ignore it, but it's not going to mean it's not the truth, right? There's a lot of different, like, things that we could look at. But, like, one of the things that we in this country need to look at is this notion of what reasonable use of force is and i realize this isn't a really like exciting thing for people to talk about but there is precedent for this 
So Seattle and L.A. have recently expanded their definitions. So in Seattle, officers now can't use physical force against individuals who only verbally confront them unless they specifically say they're going to threaten them. So the days of, you know, like if you talk back to an officer, they can't just escalate the situation. That's important. It defines the rules, right? The rules as they are in place, I'm sure that they were well-intentioned to protect police, but they clearly can be abused. So like when we talk about why the officer hasn't been arrested yet, if the officer is arrested, it'll be maybe involuntary manslaughter, maybe something like that. You're right. It won't be murder. There's like 0% chance it's murder. So that's a problem, right? So like, because people have in their mind, and I don't blame them, they want justice. So that's one like messed up aspect to this whole thing. And I don't know how we even get past that. Right. How, right. So like, I guess the question I ask you, Armand, is so if, so let's presume that this officer won't get arrested at the very least, he won't, he won't get arrested for the charge that people want him to get arrested for. Is it possible for the community of Ferguson to find, to, to feel that this was, that this has been justly no. resolved? No. Right. No, it's not going to happen. Right. They want, like you said, they want blood. They want blood. I mean, that's pretty much where we're at. Yeah. They want blood. And, you know, by the evidence that you've just presented, they're not going to get it. It's, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. And the, the scary part is that, you know, all of us live in Ferguson. All of us live in Ferguson. It, it, like, it, it could just, it's crazy because Friday night I got pulled over. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, granted, the cop was really cool. You know, let me off with a warning, blah, blah, blah. You know, but more important than that was just, it's very easy for something to happen. Something very, as, as, as complicated as this issue is, as you said at the beginning of the show, this is a very simple issue. A teenager lost his life at the hands of a cop. Right. That's 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 the that's the issue that either branches out or is rooted in several different issues that we've been talking about. Right. That can happen anywhere. As you said, race relations are not the best anywhere. Right. You know what I'm saying now granted it's not the civil rights and it's not what it was 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, but yeah, it's still it's still not the best. Nowhere near. Um, and now it's got to a point where more important than, than, you know, race relations, this is a human rights issue. Mm. Like, so you mean to tell me that you have to militarize the police because a child was murdered and in turn they looted a couple of stores? Word? So the militarizing of the police is really interesting to me because, um, you know, I'm a nerd and I like to know the history about these things. Yeah. So... I initially, th- I initially thought, and I might have even tweeted about this, that it really had a lot to do with post nine eleven, right? How Homeland mm-hmm. Security mm-hmm. grants mm-hmm. opened up, um, o- opened up this possibility. This actually started in the Clinton era, in ninety six, mm-hmm. um, and it was, of course, as with many things, um, it was an sort of a outreach of the war on drugs, which, by the way, is racially motivated. Um, I mean, there's really no way around it. I mean, the whole concept of marijuana being illegal in this country was racially motivated, right? It was because it, it was painted as a as a as a drug that turned young black men into monsters. Mm. That's how they weed. Weed? Yeah. As for I, I've I've never been high before, but weed? Yeah. That's was- like that's like <laughs> I've never seen somebody. You know, what I'm saying. Of course, I'm I'm not pro drug, but I've never seen somebody smoke weed and get violent mm. never right. right no I, I hear you 
Um, but that that's what it was painted as. It was scare tactics. Um, it was racially motivated. Um, and the war on drugs is heavily racially motivated. Never, I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week, right? But, you know, the, the, the violent cycle of we, we arrest people for minor offenses. They get in the system. They can never get out. But so as an, as an outreach of the war on drugs, the thought was, well, you know, we have to, you know, now that we've got, now that we have systematically starved our, our, our poorest members of our community yeah. of good resources yeah. and we have we have a we have a twisted reward system in place that encourages that encourages the dealing of drugs for people who feel like they have no other options now that we've at that point now we have to make sure that you know when police officers go on drug raids that they have adequate equipment so it's a it's a program that the pentagon started where basically surplus military equipment gets transferred to local police departments all they, and then that's how it started. And then it really, it did really ramp up in the, in the early 2000s um, as a result of, you know, concerns about terrorism. I, I don't know if you, I don't know if any, anybody who's listening uh, watches HBO. John Oliver has a great show on HBO now. Um, I was watching the, uh, I was watching this week's episode just before we went on tonight. And uh, he, he outlined an excellent example of how crazy this is. Keene, New Hampshire, which is. Talk about a white bread town in the middle of nowhere. There's a, there's a university there, a private university, but um, they have a Bearcat armored vehicle. Um, they they got it via a grant from the government as one of these programs, and they said that you know they needed it because terrorism can strike anywhere, including their beloved pumpkin festival. No, no joke, that's in their <laughs> application. <laughs> this is writ large, like my my the paper of record in Connecticut, the Hartford Current had a tool, uh, a nice little uh, interactive tool on their website this uh, within the past week so you could see what military equipment your town had. Oh, wow. You know, pouring over federal records and everything like that. There's a lot of towns that have, basically, in a lot of cases, it's big armored vehicles. So, you know, there's that. And then there's... So, it's one thing if... I mean, basically, you can't just blame like the mil- you can't just blame what what we saw in Ferguson on. Oh well, the government gave him weapons, so now you know you still got to use it. But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, there was a fire burning. You didn't have to you didn't have to pour gasoline on it, right? And so, it, when you have um, a police department that clearly doesn't care about its citizens, I mean, really, like everything that they've shown over the past week is number one, they wanted to protect the officer in question. Number two. They really wanted everybody to just go home and respect them and listen to them. And they didn't understand how condescending that was. The notion of, again, the notion of community policing, of, of protecting your, you know, your, your, ta- your, your town from, from harm doing is just clearly not even in their, in their vocabulary. When you take that mentality, you combine with it centuries of, of race problems in America. And then you give people who, who are probably stressed and clearly, you know, they, they believe that they know what their job is and, you know their job. They think their job is to keep the streets free and clear. And then you you give them rubber bullets, tear gas, sniper Jesus. rifles. Like what what are we thinking, people? Right. Um, thoughts about Obama right now? Um, because Obama gave a little bit of a speech today. Yeah, he said okay, but his were, were and I didn't see his speech today. But from my understanding, what he said today and what he said a few days ago mirrored each other, right? Right. Like, he, can't, I can't do anything until I get more information. Um, 
So there's a couple things. He he's very um, clinical, we'll say. There's a really interesting article on Vox.com, V-O-X.com. Um, if you ever, I don't know anybody who's listening, if you've ever read The Verge, um, the parent company of The Verge is called Vox Media, and they hired a bunch of great up-and-coming writers to launch a news site called Vox.com. It's structured very similar to how The Verge is in terms of how their like images work and their stories work, and it's really well done. They have a really good article they put up after Obama's speech um, today called Why Obama Won't Give the Ferguson Speech His Supporters Want. And it's really interesting. Um, on my on my um, my alter ego's Twitter account this morning, I sort of laid out some of these reasons. And it's true is that Obama basically has faced six years now of his opponents calling him a tyrant, calling him a socialist, just calling him things that are all really not true. Obama is actually a phenomenally moderate politician. Mm. He's not a liberal by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but, you know, the Obama who ran in 08, who had that sort of soaring rhetoric, when he became President Obama, right, we had the 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 infamous beer summit in 2009. Remember when um, at Harvard, um, police arrested uh, Professor Skip Gates on the porch of his own home, and then he invited, like, the police officer, and, like, it was this whole thing. So they have all these, they have these interesting, um, they got they got some really good graphs that show um, how people's, during the Obama pre- presidency, how, for the first time really ever, people's views on on racially charged subjects diverges in a way like diverges along party lines in a way that they never had before, right? So like, um, you know, these are based off surveys, right? So like the Zimmerman verdict, Republicans, 20% of them were dissatisfied. 68% of Democrats were dissatisfied, right? So Obama sees this as a thing that he can't win. He sees it as when he speaks out, all he gets is attacked and it doesn't actually do anything. He is, I think he will forever be conscious of the fact that he is, I mean, this sounds stupid to say, but it's worth saying. He will forever be, he will forever always keep in his mind that he is the first black president and that he feels like he can never be seen as a stereotype. He can never, the things that his opponents want him to, to sort of be baited into, the the awful stereotype of the angry black man. Yeah. He is so terrified of being seen that way that he mm. won't say anything. Mm. I can see that. So, and and there's a whole, like, in a, in a weird way, Obama, I almost see, like, his, his real legacy will be seen if in the next 20 years we have another African-American president. Mm. It's one of those cases where you have to, being first will be awful. Gotcha. And, do you know what I mean? And it, certainly the, <laughs> The uh, there are people in this country who have made it their mission since day one to um, do character assassination on Obama. But that all being said, I understand, and to a certain degree, why like in his head, this, he feels like this is something he can't say. But man, he's the president. Like <laughs> at some point, and I don't know what point it is, but you know, don't we? I mean, doesn't he have to intervene at some point? Like, what is he waiting for? Nah, I agree. Um... Even just him being there, he doesn't even have to say anything. He could just be the fact that, you know, like Twitter was killing him last night because he was at a jazz concert while all that was going on. But like 
he just come and just be amongst the people and touch them and talk to them. And that would absolutely be a consolation to a lot of people. He doesn't necessarily have to make a move, although making a move would be great and ideal. You know, we, we, you know, to the general populace, and I'm not that well, you're way more versed in politics than I am. But excuse me, the job of the president and the reason why most people vote for a person to be the president is to lead the country. Right. Right. So Congress aside, you know, all that other stuff aside, we want you to take the head of important matters that will make that will either preserve our country and or move it forward. And those are two very broad terms. Sure. That mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Just him just actually being there is a really is just bad timing. You know, he's on vacation. Um, but he just him doing something, being there, even saying my condolences to the Mike Brown family. He hasn't even given that. But, you know, five minutes after Robin Williams died, he already had a three paragraph statement. You, you know, know why? Just, you know why? Just, why? Because nobody's offended when you give condolences to a celebrity. Absolutely. Because, because right. you know, we all we all love celebrities. Right. In our we culture, all we all love them. Yeah. Right. Like celebrity driven culture. But, but anything else that obsessed and for whatever reason, despite the fact that he will never run for office again because he's he's a two term president. That's that's the peak of American political achievement. You are a two term president. There is nothing else you can do. There is no other office you will run for. And yet he still won't do it. It's disappointing. Yeah. There's so many sure. things this week I could sum up as disappointing. Um, I'm sorry. I feel like I interrupted your flow a little earlier. Um, uh, yeah, but I forgot I was going to say it don't work. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just, you know, yeah, just do something. Just be there. Be there. We'll be. I mean, I, like, it's, it's funny. Like, I don't know if you saw the dynamic of J. Cole and Kiki Palmer yesterday. Did you did you see or get wind of any of that? No. I mean, so I'm aware, you know, I'm obviously I'm aware that J. Cole released a track, which by the way, I don't know how anybody can not listen to the hook of that song and immediately get, like you get chills. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, and so, I, I know that he went down to Ferguson. Yeah, he went to, and he didn't make a statement. He wasn't on Twitter taking pictures like, yo, I'm here. Yada, yada, yada. He looked like he rolled out of bed. He had some sweats on, you know what I'm saying, and an old T-shirt and and a, and a fitted. His hair wasn't cut. It's just it's crazy. It's crazy as I'm describing this, just like how much we pay attention to as a culture. You know what I'm saying? To they factor into things that really don't matter. Um, you know, he just looked like he just looked like he rolled out of bed and said, "Yo, let's let's take a flight and let's go to Ferguson." Went down there, you know, visited the site where where Mike was killed. I believe he talked to the family. You know, he was definitely talking to the protesters and, you know, um, I know he talked to, um, ah, I'm, lo- I'm forgetting his name, the, uh, the alderman that's been out there crazy, Antonio. Oh, yeah, I know. He's a- Pierce, maybe? Is that is it? it? No, is I it- can't remember. Why do I feel like, okay, yeah, him. But uh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, definitely been talking to a lot of the, the important people who have been leading, you know, the efforts down there. And it was great. It was cool. Kiki Palmer went down there. I don't know if Kiki Palmer... We'll just call her Akila, Akila Nabi, that girl. Okay. Um, she came down there. She had heels on. She had hot pants on. Like it looked like a photo op. You know what I'm saying? It looked it looked very Young Jeezy ish. I don't know if you saw the Young Jeezy photo in front of the Quick Trip, like the day after everything happened. Um, it looked like, hey, here's an opportunity to get some press. Take a picture, click, and you know, it's 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 funny. Like, you know, if they could do that, what what does it mean? I ask you this, Doc. Right. What does it mean if Obama goes down there and just touches the people? 
He doesn't make a move. He doesn't make an announcement. He doesn't, you know, tell the police to back off. He doesn't, you know, remove the curfew or he doesn't do anything but just come down there and offer condolences and offer his presence and offer his celebrity. You know what I'm saying? Because it becomes about him. Um, So part of that is this is going to sound really mundane. Part of that is simply logistical. Considering what's going on down there to to bring in the president, his full array of Secret Service, the amount of security checks they do before the president goes anywhere, like conceivably getting him in there would actually be a really interesting undertaking. Um, I think also it's funny, right? Like because the one of the powers of the, of the presidency is to use it as a bully pulpit pulpit, right? To case where he doesn't have power, like in. People really, really forget this on both sides of the political spectrum. The president is actually fairly limited into what he or she, maybe soon she, can do, right? The president, like in this case, you know, the president can't sit there and charge the officer with murder, right? The The president could technically, could have um, nas- could have uh, called up the National Guard, but the governor beat him to the punch. Um, so the president actually can't, like, dictate things to the police, what the president can do is use the fact that if he speaks, everybody will cover it. Everybody will talk about it. And he could certainly advocate on behalf of the family. We need to allow this community time to heal. This is an unfortunate situation. He could say a lot of things. Um, but the, he almost missed that timing. Like the speech that he gave today was so mild and so ugh. like we're now at a point. I think it's, you said this earlier. People want like. We are. We have reached a point where I don't think him off. Like he's the president. Um, we have a. We put way too much emphasis on the president. We don't worry enough about the people we elect to Congress. Yes. <laughs> frankly, absolutely. You, people. You want to know why Obama hasn't been effective? There are lots of reasons. You want to know a big one? It's because because we we have a, a, a Republican dominated House. That's why. Their mission from the moment he took office was to block everything he wanted to do. Yep. They have succeeded phenomenally. Um, people put so much emphasis on the presidency that in a way I almost don't know. It's very difficult to deliver on that promise. Especially, by the way, he's currently under political attack for what they see as him him issuing executive orders that are overreaching. You know, and he lives in that bubble, right? May, I mean, you are probably right. Like in an ideal world, it would actually do him a lot of good to get out there and to get on the ground. But I think he's in this bubble. Um, now, is that bubble, is that bubble self-imposed? Is that bubble, you know... Congress imposed? Is it? Is it people imposed? I mean, so he has the bubble of the presidency, right? Where it's very difficult for the president to really see what's going on. Because mm-hmm. for him to really see what's going on, he'd have to like go in, dis- like go out in disguise, like some movie, and somehow <laughs> get out there. Because like, let's say he went down there, you know, what would he really be able to see? It would be a photo op. He'd get accused of turning it into a photo. Op. You know what I mean? Like nothing's ever simple when you're the president. Jeez. Um. <sighs> So you mentioned, you, you talked before about J. Cole and some other people who've just been going down there for what appears to be um, self-serving reasons. I, I, I don't think J. Cole went down there for self-serving reasons. I, I, right. I, and, I don't, and I don't necessarily know if, if Kiki Palmer or Jeezy went down there. They, the two of them, it didn't look right, you know what I'm saying? And, and Cole, if you're going to do it, the public perception, he passed with flying colors. Right. I mean... So you had asked me this before the show, and I, I think, or maybe even during the show, I can't remember at this point. Um, you feel like a lot of celebrities are being silent on this issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about this before before the show. Yes. Um, well, I mean, that's a that's a that's a big issue. Um, 
and I, I, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily, I'm not like, yo, cause I'm not like, yo, why aren't these celebrities saying anything, but they're, they're dousing themselves with ice cold water to raise awareness for ALS. Um, because I don't need celebrities to speak for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm not, where's Ja Rule? <laughs> Shout out to the prophet Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Where is Ja? I'm not that guy. I don't need my artists. I don't need my artists to, to speak on that, but this will be the instance where I will defend hip hop because we're, we're, what the problem is, is that we're such a reactionary nation when we should be a lot more preventive. So, you know, in, the, in how that relates to hip hop is, oh, how come hip hop isn't responding, homie? I, you know what album I was listening to this weekend and I heard Mike Brown all in it? What Good a- Kid Mad City. Mm. All through it. Sing about me, I'm dying of thirst. Good God. <laughs> like, that is Mike Brown and every kid like him. So why all of a sudden do we need to now come out and say, oh, I have to hurry up. Like somebody like me, like Doc, you went out uh, offline. We talked about, we like, yo, you know, sh- sh- should, we, should we do a record? And my response was, is me, number one, being from St. Louis. Number two, still being in shock and taking all the information in. I can't even accurately put my thoughts together to make two words rhyme on that issue right now. I right. just can't. I just can't do it. Right. And I don't expect a lot of people to do it because although the general public can, you know, rappers, celebrities, artists, they have to worry about a brand and they have to make sure that that brand is, is represented in, in the right way. Like they have, to, they have to go about it more than just, I'm just going to write 80 bars and say how I feel and put it out there. Like that doesn't really do much good. What does that do? What does that do if Jay-Z puts out a verse about it right now? What does that do? Right, for someone like Jay, I th- you know what, it's so funny, I think it depends on the artist. For someone like Jay, I think it comes off as calculating. Absolutely. Um, for some- yeah. Right. Oh, you know, yeah, you know people are waiting. You know what's funny? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and do this. <laughs> Guess what album I was listening to last week? What album? <laughs> Tell me it was Jesus. It was Jesus. Mm. It was Jesus. The first half of that album, I have no qualms with, except I am a god for obvious reasons. But primarily... New Slaves, Black Skinhead, and uh, what's the other record? On Sight? Nah, not On Sight. What's after? What's after? Um, oh, Hold My Liquor? No. Okay. Well, then the first two songs then. <laughs> You're thinking of two of those first five. <laughs> okay. So two of the first five. Two of the first five. But more specifically, Black Skinhead and definitely New Slaves. It just like, it just spoke. It just spoke. I've, I've been listening to Yeezus this week too. Um, blood, I've been listening to Blood on the Leaves this week. Yes. That record too. Um, right. I, so like real quick, you know, I, the reason why I mentioned doing the song is because for me, when I have an emotional reaction to something that immediately results in music. Mm-hmm. Like I talked about this when we talked about Kairos and the making of and all that stuff. Like the beat for this is Kairos. I had such emotion, like my, my wife's grandmother that we were both close to, she had, she had just passed. Mm-hmm. And, and like, that was my way of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Like one of my old one of my old favorite beats, Passport with Storm P. Mm-hmm. Right, me and me and my then girlfriend, now wife, we're going through some some you know a little bit of a rocky patch. Yeah, and, and that beat came out of it. Um, yeah. Uh, so for me, mute like if there's something emotional, like it doesn't always be successful. But my first inclination is I need to do something musical with this. I, I don't want people to you know I just don't want people to think that we were trying to like 
no, score no, no, points no, no. or anything. Yeah, but, and yeah, let's clarify that. But, nah, I th- but I, I, again, I think it really depends on the kind of artist you are too. Yeah, it, it is. Doc, and let me clarify that. Like Doc didn't approach me on some let's milk the cow. No, the best way yeah. we know how. No. Um. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like that at all. It was, you know, it, it honestly, like I, I, I can, I think I could speak for myself without coming off like pompous or arrogant. It makes sense for an artist like me to speak on something like that. Right. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. And the funny part is I've already, I, I was planning on making a song about St. Louis two months ago. I wrote a verse about St. Louis a month ago that talked about this very issue. I saw what was going on and it hurt. And right. I knew that I had to do something. That was the verse. The record that put, I wrote that record the week after I got back from St. Louis. And then this happened. So yeah, absolutely. But for me, I'm such an emotional person too, that I have to check my emotions. Like sometimes I will, um, I'll write something and I'll throw it away because I just need to get it out. Um, but then other times when I, I, I have to like take it down a certain path and, and do certain things to it, I have to, I have to use, I have to let, I have to think about my emotions and I have to channel them and put them in a way and present them in a way that is way more than just absolute raw emotion. Because, you know, using the example of you and your girl, like when you and your girl argue, if it gets really crazy, you might say some stuff that you don't necessarily mean. Where six months later, you're like, you're paying for something that you said in the heat of the moment. Right. You know, so, you know, for me, that I understand because I, I, I totally was that guy for the longest time. But more recently, I've learned to, when I'm angry, stutter step. You know what I'm saying? Like, take a step back and then move. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, that everybody's different. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not you, you're not me. And everybody, you know, everybody works different. So... We hope you enjoyed Side A of this week's episode. Please check out Side B at clockradiospeakers.com.